please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. While you're turning, how many of you remember the show or been to the uh, been to the museum, Ripley's Believe It or Not? They have a location in Los Angeles uh, that you can go to and you can go visit. And it's really interesting because, remember the show, they used to kind of tell you the story and say, this is it, believe it or not. They just leave it there. And so, very interesting because some of the things you were like, I don't know if I believe that. And, and then there's other things you go, yeah, that could be, that's probably true. And you kind of make your own decision as to what was true and whether it wasn't true. Well, this morning we're talking about Noah and about accepting the impossible. And it's so easy in this life to just dismiss things that seem impossible. And so that, yeah, that'll just never happen, so we dismiss it and we let it go. And so we want to dig into that today as we look at Noah. And we're going to be in verse 7 of chapter 11. He says, By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Noah, and we thank you for the testimony of him being in this hall of faith. Father, I pray that as you look at us, that you will see that we too walk in faith. And I ask you to speak to our hearts this morning, reveal your word to us, that we may hear and obey and walk in the joy of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning as we look at Noah's faith, we're going to see that he was warned by God, that he obeyed in reverence, and the impact that his faith made. And so we begin with the fact that God warned him. We, uh, Noah was warned by God. Now, Noah did not warn God, uh, Noah, I'm sorry, God did not warn Noah because he was part of the problem. He warned him because he was planning to protect him. You know, there's warnings that come to us in the realm of, you had better cut that out or this is coming your way. Then there's warnings of danger, danger. If you keep driving, you're going to go over a cliff. And so he's warning Noah about what is coming so that Noah does not fall into the same thing. He was planning to protect him. And so let's look and see. One of the things, the fact that God was warning Noah, demonstrated that they had some kind of a relationship. This wasn't something new. Noah wasn't like, hey, who are you? They had had conversation before. They had had relationship. It's interesting as you look back, you know, we think about our relationship with God as revealed in his word. And as um, we're instructed or other Christians share or even in our prayer life, they didn't have any of this. And so they just walked with him and he revealed himself to them. We learned that last week with Enoch. And so here's Noah and... The whole world 
is really gone to pot, if you will. We're going to see that in a minute when we jump into back into Genesis. But it's falling apart. Men are just evil and spreading evil. And in the midst of that, Noah is here having this conversation with God. He wanted to warn Noah to avoid something. You know, when when you warn somebody, it's really an act of love, isn't it? Parents, when you warn your children, isn't it because you love them and don't want something bad to happen to them? Right? Kids, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? It always feels like they're keeping us from something. Why can't I? I'm not going to fall into that. Right? That's what we think, right? I got news for you. Your parents thought the same thing when their parents told them that. When they gave them warnings. And so he wanted him to avoid something. But God's warning also required action from Noah. When God speaks to us with warnings, it's the same for us. We either accept or reject. We either say yes or no. And he's, he's warning, he's telling him about something. And with that warning is going to come instruction. It's going to come responsibility. God doesn't engage us for us to just sit around and do nothing with it. He engages us to engage him back. And so let's look at what was going on. Let's go back in time, if you will, and pick up our character sketch out of uh, Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to read verse 13 through 7, 12. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height thirty cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and fit and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which the is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, every creeping thing of, of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come in, will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food, which is edible. Gather it to yourselves, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone... I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you every clean animal by sevens. 
a male and female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven days, or seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood of clean animals and the animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah, uh, Noah's life in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And so we see an interesting environmental change here. God is warning Noah about the things not yet seen. He tells him, I'm going to warn you about the things not yet seen. Well, what things had not yet been seen by people? What things in this story had not yet been seen? I'm going to give you one of them. Y'all are on number two. The first thing they had never seen was the wrath of God. Up until that point, there had not been any wrath poured out. And this was part of God's judging of what had happened in the decisions that people had made to live in rebellion. And so he's telling, he's warning him that this is coming. The other thing that they had never seen before was rain. It is believed from scripture as you build it and as you study and see how, how it's phrased and how it's written. That there was probably a sphere of water around the earth at that time. And that there was waters under, under the deep, in the, uh, under the ground. Which now we see, I mean, if you want to see maybe where some of that came from, go up to inner space caverns. <laughs> there's caves, people are, are discovering. These giant ones, there's, I don't know if y'all seen some of the uh, documentary on that one in, in uh, Vietnam. Have y'all seen that thing? This thing has its own ecosystem. It actually has uh, water that is evaporating and it's cooling and coming back. There's rain within there. It's, it's, a, it's awesome. It's beautiful. And so there's all of these caves and things that were storing the water that God released upon the earth. And so they were facing for the very first time God's wrath and rain. They said, I'm going to rain. It would be like him saying today, I'm going to kabuki. We don't even know what that is. We don't know what a kabuki is. I've seen it. I usually file that under Southern Engineering. Somebody kabuki this together. But uh, if God were to, he would use a, a word or a phrase that had never, they had never even seen before. Interesting. And so this was a turning point in human history. This was a time when things changed. It was more than just a Bible story. It was more than just a Bible story. He was warned by God. But Noah 
obeyed in reverence. See, Noah's reverence for God is the factor that caused him to obey. I thought that was significant in here as we go through these this hall of faith. And so, what did he do? He did what he was told. He built an ark like God told him. Now, this was a time before power saws and chainsaws and all of the modern conveniences that we have today. He didn't go down to Home Depot and ask for, them to, uh, where's the pile of gopher wood? He had to go and get all this stuff. And he built this ark. I mean, this thing's a monster. They say by shipbuilding standards, the, the measurements that God gave him here are the measurements, the, the proportions to make the most stable seafaring vessel you can build. It's a one to six ratio width to length. 50 to 300. So one to six. And so God knows what he's doing. <laughs> God created engineering. <laughs> it's not, I mean, we think that we're so smart, we're coming up with all this stuff and these studies. And it's just not, I mean, we're, God knows better than we do. And so he built this ark. The, the ark, interestingly, was built for Noah. It was built for Noah. And so, often we think of the ark as the salvation of the animals and Noah got to go too, right? It's all about the animals. The ark was meant to save Noah. And he asked him to take the animals with him. Significant changes a little bit the story that we know of Noah's Ark. And so why was God saving Noah's family? Why was God saving Noah's family? Let me back up. I want to, let, me, let me read you the verse that explains that point, that the ark was built for Noah. In verse 7 it says, He's warned by God about the things in reverence he prepared an ark for the salvation of what? His household. It says it right here. It was meant for the salvation of his household. And so God was saving him. But why was God saving him? Because he's about to make a covenant with Noah. He's about to make a covenant with Noah. And he, uh, he's going to give us a reminder of that. One of the covenants that he makes with Noah is that he would never destroy the, the people of the earth again by flood. And so, he puts his bow in the clouds. And therefore, today we see the rainbow. Have you all ever seen a double rainbow? Anybody? Did you know you're actually only seeing one rainbow when you see that? Like, no, I saw two. I saw two. If you look at the colors and you count them, it's an image. It's a mirror image. It's a reflection of the other rainbow. Because the colors go in reverse. So God, when he laid down his bow, he placed it in the clouds to yield it against us no more. 
And so he makes this co- he makes a covenant with Noah. Some people will call this the Noahic covenant. You can see the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to get into Abraham next week. The Old Testament covenant made through the law. The grace covenant made through the cross. If you're a covenant theologian, these are some of the covenants. If you're a dispensationalist, that's another word to cover the covenants. It's all the same. You can call it whatever you want. A rose by any other name is still a rose. And so he establishes this covenant with Noah that he's not going to completely wipe man out again. And the fact that Noah was willing and obeyed God revealed why he was picked. I mean, think about this for just a minute. This required great faith. To go and build something, to survive something that you've never seen before, there's no evidence of it other than the fact that God told you it's coming. It's not going to take 10 minutes. It's going to take years to do. We want an instant, we want a microwave God these days, don't we? How many of you have ever stood at your microwave waiting on something to finish because it seemed like it was taking too long? Is that crazy? <laughs> I mean, it used to be years ago that every, I mean, we were cooking over fire and that was the greatest invention that we found fire. Now, if it was popcorn, I understand because we don't want to burn the microwave popcorn. I get that. That's different. But here, it takes him a long time to do this. He gives him a seven-day window. Get everybody on board. All aboard, seven days. (coughs) And we know from the scriptures that God's actually the one that shut the door. Listen, (laughs) when God shuts the door, ain't no man going to open it. And so God shuts the door. But he obeyed in reverence. He did this because he revered God. That's what ought to, I mean, didn't even uh, Paul talk about that it was the love of Christ that constrains him to go? What has happened to our reverence of God today? We kind of want to own the knowledge of God, don't we? I want you to know something. You can mine to know God, and I think we should. The Bible says, it tells us to study, to show yourself approved. But you're never going to know everything there is about God. If you could, then God's finite. He's infinite. Once you learn this set of facts, you're like, every time I study, it opens up. I go in with three questions and I leave with 12. It just multiplies. Well, we have this, but now what about these things? And what happened here? And why did that happen? Was that a normal thing? We've been talking about Joseph. Why was there a pit there? Why did they have that pit? Why? What Was that something that was normal for that time? The one that they threw Joseph down in? What is the coat of many colors? What was the significance of it apart from the fact that he had made it for his son? Was that something that was in culture that was brought here that we see here? We just think about it related to Joseph, but we don't know what it is in culture. See, it creates all these other questions. That's the beauty of study. It's just God is unlimited. (laughs) 
And, but he was willing to obey because he revered God. I wonder if our willingness to obey does relate directly to our reverence of God. Do we truly have a reverence of God today? You know, we want to wow and, and excite people all the time. We want to get into these big light shows and, and all the things that you can bring. And I'm not so sure that we're not replacing a, a, an intimate encounter with Christ with a technology buffer that gives us a warm fuzzy but doesn't introduce us to a person. Because Jesus is the one who died for me. Jesus is the one who saw me back then and gave his life for me. And he is the one that I need to be excited about. Because of my reverence for him, because of who he is, that's what drives my obedience. And if I'm not being obedient, then maybe it, for me, and I can't speak for you, maybe there's a problem with reverence for me. That's something we have to look at. See, <laughs> our reverence for God directly affects our obedience to Him. And we see what happened with Noah here. Maybe that's why Noah was picked. Because God knew his heart. God knew his heart. Well, the impact we see, uh, lastly, we see the impact of faith. As a result of Noah's faith, two things happened. First, he condemned the world. Listen, the ark was a pretty big symbol of God's leading. And so people had to make, I mean, if it condemned the world, then the world had to have known. So there had to have been either God, some communication from God, or some communication from Noah. That there's salvation therein. My guess is they probably thought he was crazy. And that's all that is. It's just a guess. The Bible doesn't say that. But here God's telling him he's going to do something that nobody on the planet has ever seen before. He obeys God and he goes and makes this thing. And it's not like you can hide it. <laughs> you know? It's not like you can... You know, I know we all live in these HOAs where you've got to keep it under the fence, right? You couldn't keep this under the fence. He goes and he builds this ark. And amazingly, no one else responded in faith or even thought they should pay attention. Nobody. They weren't even moved by Noah's commitment. Man, this guy really believes what he's saying. At least we should check it out. I mean, he's committed his life for years and years and years to this. They just wrote him off. Tells you where the world was then. That's why this thing condemned the whole world. But the other thing that happened is he became an heir of righteousness. He became an heir of righteousness. Now, it's not self-righteousness because God doesn't respect self-righteousness. He wouldn't have made this hall of faith based on self-righteousness. 
Because it was, oh, well, I built this ark. Listen, these law, I guarantee there was a crew helping him, I would imagine. I mean, these logs are big. Gopher wood is a very dense, hard wood. Anybody here ever sawed through hardwood before? I have. I have. Sometimes it's like, you know how you would imagine that you saw a board where you just kind of put the blade down and kind of go through like a pine board you would get from the, from the Home Depot? Hardwood doesn't saw like that. You got to go slow. You got to come at it at an angle. Then you got to hit the other wedge and take that wedge out. And, or you have to make three or four passes. But conwood is like that. Conwood is very hard. We put a new blade on. We were making stairs. And we used that whole blade on just those stairs. Because it is a hard, hard wood. Gopher wood is hard. It'd be like chopping a concrete tree. And he had to go 300 cubits and 50 cubits wide with three decks. Oh, and don't forget the window <laughs> at the top and the door on the side. It's a lot of work, man. You know, I would have to be pretty convinced that God spoke to me to go do all that. You know, we have to be pretty convinced that God speaks to us just to, to make a comment to our friend. <laughs> Let alone something like this. And so he became the heir of righteousness. So an heir, when you use the word heir, an heir inherits, right? It's a family relationship. And so what we see that's being revealed here is that he had been adopted into the family. He was saved. He had been accepted. And his faith is revealed. When we walk in faith, ladies and gentlemen, it gives people a choice. They either reject God and are condemned or accept him and become joint heirs with us. We were just talking about this. If we don't walk in faith, how will they know? How will they see a people convinced how will they see somebody who says, man, this thing is real? When they face tough times, where are they going to turn? How many of you have ever faced tough times in your life beside me? How many of you have ever faced them and, and been asked yourself, man, where is God? Beside me. Then how many of you have ever faced tough times where you heard the voice of God and you had a peace in the midst of it? <laughs> and you knew and you watched him take care of you. I've done both. I've both blown it and by God's grace sailed through it. And I'll tell you, I prefer the latter much better. <laughs> it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to see what God's up to when it seems like our world is falling apart. I mean, imagine being told that I'm about to destroy all the earth. What? <laughs> oh, but it's okay. You just have to build this thing 300 cubits long, 50 wide, three decks. 
I mean, think about the amount of pitch. It's like tar. Anybody ever worked with tar before? How many of you have ever got tar on your hands? There's my roof. Michelle and I do the roof. Anytime there's a roof, she goes on the roof. Dwayne doesn't like to go on the roof. And so you, can, you used to be able to buy it. Now they sell this, this other stuff that looks like tar, but it's like cough. I miss the old tar, boy. It was, it was harder to pull the gun. But, but when it gets on, they didn't have acetone to get that off. That's a messy, nasty job. And all he has is the voice of God to confirm it. He's got no history. He's got nothing else. Just the voice of God. Is the voice of God enough? We can impact the world just by how we live. And the question is, are we also walking in faith? These people are here in this passage because they had faith. I'm not sure, even if we were completely obedient to God today, that our faith would be the same faith. We have all His Word to rely on. They didn't have anything. Not until later. And so what do we learn from this passage about Noah? Or what do we learn from this, yeah, this passage? What do we learn from this passage that talks about Noah? What do we learn for us? The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are you willing to believe and trust God even when what he's telling you seems impossible? But I don't see how, God, you want me to do what? How? I don't have the resources for that. Can you imagine Noah saying that? You want me to build what? I don't have resources. There ain't no gopher wood here. There's no pitch. If he said that, it's not recorded. But what has God asked you to do that seems impossible? What has God asked you? Maybe it's it's something. Maybe it's, he doesn't ask you to build an ark. I would guess maybe that's true that he has not asked you to build an ark. But maybe he's asked you to share Christ with a friend, or maybe he's asked you to help start a ministry, or maybe he's asked you to get involved somewhere here. We're going to be having some opportunities coming up with some work days opportunities in our children's ministry because God's been speaking to me about the latter and I think he's been speaking to several of you about the former and I'm willing to listen whether it comes directly from him or through you I'm excited about the things he's shown me for me it's an issue of obedience I have to pursue what he's shown me as I leave, right? Isn't that what you want? You want an obedient pastor? <laughs> it's usually an advantage. <laughs> and so we will, even when it seems impossible, this is where we want to be, right? 
where there's no doubt that God did it? I want to be used by God so the world knows it was God. But then we have to be able to say nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. Could God, in the day that he told Noah, just said that ark rise up out of the dirt? That's the sound it would have made if you were there. That's a Hebrew sound. It means the ark cometh. Marshall, Marshall checked me on that. He could have. Why didn't God just do that? Why didn't he sail the ark to him on the sand? You ever wonder that? See, I told you, when you begin to study, other questions arise. <laughs> Why God didn't just give it to him? It was needed, right? Or why he didn't just give them inflatable inner tubes? They could have rafted on the floods and landed in the Guadalupe River and had a great time. And the school bus could have picked them up at the end. The reason God didn't do it that way is he wanted them to be involved. So too, <clears throat> do you find it difficult to obey God on a regular basis? <clears throat> do you find it difficult to obey God on a regular basis? Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe um, we're in a pattern. Maybe we would say, I just don't hear the voice of God. That was the thing that scared me most as a Christian. To not be able to hear the voice of God. Now, don't raise your hand. If that's you, and you have sat there and said, man, I just don't hear the voice of God. I'm going to help you today. I'm going to help you to cross over. But it's going to be up to you to let this grow in you, okay? You have to be willing to do whatever he shows you, even if it's hard or uncomfortable, before you will start recognizing hearing his voice. How many of you, don't raise your hands, have ever told God no? I have. I have. I've. Jonah wasn't the only one. <laughs> You say, well, I've never told God that. How many of you have ever not obeyed after God showed you something? That's the same as no. And then we sit out there and worry why God's not speaking to us. Why would he speak to you if you don't do anything he shows you? Yeah, but I don't like what he shows me. Me either. Welcome to the crowd. But I revere him enough today to not say no to him anymore. I've said it before, and I say that, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> right? 
Listen, do you have to agree with God to obey Him? I thought Don was going to steal my thunder this earlier. I don't have to agree with God to obey Him, but if I don't and I pick and choose only the things I agree with, then I become God instead of Him. Then I become my own God. <clears throat> And so faith with reverence accepts that God has the best plans for us. And we can trust Him. Listen, I have resolved myself to the idea that I don't see everything that God can see. And if He's showing me something, He's up to something. And I have to trust Him. I have to be confident that He's going to care for me and not hurt me. And if He is going to hurt me, He's going to hurt me in a way that's for my own good. Or he's going to hurt me out of something that shouldn't be there. You know, pain changes our direction, doesn't it, sometimes? Sometimes it changes us in the right way, and sometimes it changes us in the wrong way. We can experience pain and learn from it and grow from it and become better because of it. And know that we don't touch a spinning saw when it's running again. Pain can also give us a decade of hurt and distance from the lives of other people because of something somebody said or did. I see it all the time. I want, I want to encourage you to know that I've been there. I've been on both sides of that. And it's very hurtful to stay bound up in that. What I've learned is, and this really helped me, what I've learned is people's behavior is a reflection of them, not me. When somebody mistreats me, and I've said, I've, there's, there's been some people that have said some things, and I'm like, are you seriously saying that to me right now? You ever been there? That hurts so bad. But when you get away from the emotion, because the emotion is the hard part, right? When you get away from the emotion and start to pray for them that God will bless them. Well, how do you pray that God would bless them? Because for God to bless them, He has to show them. And so if my heart is right and wants them to experience the hand of God... He'll address those things. And I can't go, well, this is my leverage to get God to do that. That's the wrong heart in me, and God's not going to hear me. That's why he says, pray for those who despitefully use you. You know what that implies? That that's going to happen. There will be people who use you in this life. You ever been used by somebody else? You ever feel used by everybody? <laughs> Get a job where you serve other people, you'll find that out quick. 
We just want the mechanics job where we're just out there on the line putting the parts on there. They come by and I put a part on it. I just put the part on it. Just put you still have to engage with the person sliding the thing over and the person you slide it to. And I guess you could go live in Alaska and live off the land by yourself. But then where are you going to buy fuel for your... <laughs> you still got to... We, we can't isolate ourselves like that. That is the enemy. Because the Bible... The only thing that God made that he said wasn't good... It was for us to be alone. He said it's not good that Adam's alone and he made Eve. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to be a safe haven for one another. And if you're, you know, it's okay. You know, it's so, uh, I'm going to get in trouble, Stephen. So Stephen will be available after to hear your complaints. But you know what the history of church that I've served in, that I've watched, is people, something will happen and somebody's going to be upset about it. They don't like something I said or something I did or something that somebody else said or did or something, the way the carpet is, you know, Laid down, it should have been running the other way. They'll get upset because of whatever reason, and instead of leaning in and talking about it and resolving it, they say, Well, I'll just go somewhere else. That's not biblical. You have friends out there that have made decisions to walk away from where God wanted them to be. God does not want me to be here as a dictator. God wants me to be here as a servant, to serve Him. And if that means I get stepped on as I serve Him, that's what it means. If that means that I don't get seen sometimes, that's what it means. I'm okay. I don't care. It doesn't, it's not about me. The cross was about me. And thank God I don't have to do that. We need to put our eyes back on Him. That's how this is dealt with. It ceases to be difficult to follow Him because we know that He's going to take care of all that junk. And if He can't, then I don't need to be following Him anyway. Right? Our pastor told us not to follow God today. You're right, I did. If he can't handle it. Because the God of the universe can handle it. Your God's too small. You should stop following him. But we're so apprehensive that we're either going to get hurt or we're going to get, it's not going to be any fun. We've got to do things. You want me to forgive who? You don't know what they did to me. You know, I, I remember praying that prayer. And then... In my, as I was praying that, I had a picture of Jesus center my mind on the cross. And I thought, and you know what Jesus said? Y'all remember what he said? Father, forgive them. I was like, shoot. <laughs> it's hard when you compare yourself to Christ. We want to compare ourselves to others. That's easy. We can usually find something about each other that we're better than each other. That makes us feel better about ourselves. 
I don't care how I feel about myself. He wants me to love him. Fall in love with him instead of falling in love with me. Faith with reverence accepts that God has the best plans for us and we can trust him. And if you're not sure about that and, and you're struggling with that right now, I want you to know I'm willing to sit down and listen. Because I have been there. I have quit God before. And all God did was smile. You go, okay. <laughs> he's just, he's an amazing, amazing, he's just amazing. Three, your decisions on how to react to God's leaving, leaving definitely impact the people around you. So if people see me doing something because God led me, that impacts them. But if people see me not doing something that God has led me to do, that also impacts them. So you, here's the bottom line, you impact people around you all the time. Now, does that mean, that, now here's what, let me, let me deal with this, because the enemy will put this fear of you of sharing cracks in your faith. You ever have cracks in your faith? That is not of God to try to hide that. I think we put that right on the table and say, look, you know what? I'm really struggling to obey God here because it hurts. And beyond, because you know what? They are too. They are too. But we still have to admit the truth. See, the truth doesn't always agree with our view sometimes. <laughs> and that stinks too. Because <laughs> sometimes my view ain't the truth. Just because I think I saw it, or that's what makes sense to me. I've dealt with that before. I had a situation once where somebody wanted to decide why I did the things I did. And then lecture me on the reasons that that position was wrong and tell me if I didn't get it right then I was all messed up and that wasn't the reasons at all we have to people make the best decisions they can make with the circumstances in front of them every time that doesn't mean we see everything but we sit around and we go why did they make that decision do you ever make do you ever weigh your decisions and then choose the poorest decision does anybody do that? <laughs> Nobody does that. So either, have you ever heard this phrase? What was the best of two bad decisions? You ever heard that? You know what that tells me when somebody says that? They've waited. And they did what they could see. Now, would you say that we don't see everything all the time? I would say in every decision, we don't see everything. We don't do the research to find out about the other person. Man, I had a friend that used to blast people because of things they would say and do. And I would try to tell him that you need to think about maybe what's going on with them. Instead of just reacting to that behavior, what's going on with them? 
Has anybody ever done anything dumb to you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I had. I mean, you guys have heard my story. I had one kid all mouthy to me. This was the. This was your angel kid from from school. One of my teachers. I got one up here. Do you have any other teachers in here? I'm sure Michelle has some kids in class that turn into work all the time. They show up. They're like, yes, Miss Shields. They sit there with their hands perfectly folded, like her daughter, perfectly folded, angels all the time. And that kid walks in and he's creating a problem, back talking, and you're going, what's going on? And you've heard, some of you have heard this story. I set him outside. And as I grabbed the hand, the Lord said, don't you chew him out. You listen to him. And I opened the door and I sat down and I said, what's going on with you? Because this isn't like you. And his mom had just, she, I was a wanna leader. His mom had just dropped him off, told him that her and her, his dad were getting a divorce and sent him up to a wanna. He had just found out. What if I'd just gone up there and just chewed him out for what he did and not found out why? That was God's grace on me and on him. Had I not obeyed, I wouldn't have been able to show it to him. And so listen, our decisions on how to react to God's leading definitely impact other the people around us. That was the time I did it right. There's some I haven't done it right. Maybe I'll share some of those next time. When you make no uh, decision after God's leading, it tells the world you don't trust him. And if you don't trust God, why should they? Why should they? Noah did. And he had every reason not to. He had every reason. And you know, some of you have reasons in your mind that we should not trust God. You ever been through this? This can't just be me. Where every time I, I do and I trust you, I get hurt. <laughs> you ever been there? Welcome to the crowd. You're not alone. Every time I put my, you know, and Steve and I were talking about this like three weeks ago. Jesus was hurt all the time. People hurt him all the time because he loved them. And so we want to self-protect. We really, that's why we're, we want to protect ourselves. And so if every time I do this, I get hurt, I'm going to stop doing that. Well, the enemy knows that. And so... When we follow the Lord or when we try to follow the Lord or when we put ourselves, we listen to him, he's going to make sometimes that painful so that we'll say, well, I don't know if I want to do that again. Then he's a master at it. And so we have churches filled with people who are not serving because they're afraid. They're afraid of getting hurt. Or they just, they're not afraid of it. They know they will. So why should I do it? I want to tell you why you should do it. Because the fear of getting hurt should not trump the reverence for God. But it, we let it happen. I've let it happen in the past too. I'm right there with you. I need to be at the altar over those things. I've spent time at the altar for those things. I'm, at, I'm not proud of them. But I'm going to be honest with you because I know you're dealing with the same things I do. 
You know, there was a, a story about a little boy named Johnny. And little Johnny was playing with his dad's wallet, and Johnny swallowed a quarter. Parents and teachers, you ever have kids swallow money? <laughs> now we're all on credit. No. <laughs> but little Johnny swallows a quarter, and so he runs to his mom, and he's like, ah, I, I swallowed a quarter, he tells his mom. They rush him to the ER. The first doctor comes in and says, I can't get it out unless we do surgery. Our kids putting beads up their nose. I don't know what it is about the nose and kids packing their nose, but they did. Anderson, have you done that? Is that why you're hiding? <laughs> but he says, I can't get it out without surgery. And so they get a second opinion of another doctor come in and he says, no, I concur with the first one. You can't get it out without surgery. And there's a guy walking by, and he kind of hears what's going on with little Johnny. And he says, you know what? I can get it out. And no surgery. I can get it out. And they're like, okay. So he snatches Johnny up in one motion, right out of bed, grabs his ankle, one hand, and starts hitting him on the back. And the quarter pops out. And they're like, how did you know? Who are you? And he says, I'm nobody. And I'm just a guy walking by. And they said, no, but you must have some expertise in the medical field. He said, no, I'm a tax collector. And so what appears impossible it's not impossible to the one whom all things are possible. And so just because what we see, we think it's impossible, it's not impossible. And so the question is, are we willing to trust God no matter what he tells us? I want to encourage you to choose faith over doubt. I have watched when I, when I make that choice. Let me... Let me I'm going to tell you what happened when God told us to start new life. Everybody, everybody told me, make a list of all the people you know. Get your core group together. Present it to them. Get their friends. That's how you start a church. So I made my list. I had 30 families on the list. I called every one of them. And you know what they told me? No. Everyone, every one of them told me no. And I'm sitting there, all the advice I've been given of people who've done this before me, and God telling me to do this, and I've got to make a decision. Because the evidence is showing one thing, and God is saying something else. And I sat there and I prayed. And God said, do you trust me? Apparently that's a theme. I just realized that. Just now, this second. Man, that stinks. That means i got to go through that again. Poor Don, he put me on his list. 
And I'm like, yeah, I trust you. I'm moving forward. And then our guy at the state convention changed jobs. And a new guy came in. He was going to do it different. And we were relying on some of the things the other guy said. And went back to that. Do you trust me? <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a moment. That's how we're supposed to walk, folks. We trust him to handle the stuff if we just obey. And then we came out here and this thing came together in two weeks. I bought a house in January and this was April the same year. You don't sell a house unless you own it for a period of time, right? I told God on the way back, he put everything in place. I said, Lord, the only thing keeping us there is that house. You sell it, we're gone. Flew back on a Saturday, Monday. Had an offer, 3000 above our price. Wanting us to move out. They said, we'll give you 3000 more if you'll be out by the end of the month. I'm like, okay. And we were gone. It was that fast. But it's obedience. We've been through it here. We came in with a big crowd in this church. We had three sections of seating. As soon as we moved in here, people started leaving. And I asked God, what are you doing? He said, do you trust me? The same phrase. I said, yeah, I trust you. But And then we have, no, we do that. We don't say it, but we think it, right? I trust you, but... Yeah. But I'll tell you what, the heart of this group that's in love with Jesus Christ and wants to love Him and struggles in their journey but is honest before God, I would absolutely rather serve with you. It's an honor to seek God together with this group. Because your hearts are genuine. Because we can get mad at each other and not quit each other. We can yell and scream and we're still family. That happens in families, right? Maybe not your family, but my family, that happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. You don't quit family. <laughs> that's because that's real love, right? Doesn't real love cover a multitude of sins? Is there a reason that's in Scripture? And he says, I would that you would love one another. Amazing how the Bible speaks. This wasn't in the plan, do you? I don't even know what's going on right now, be honest with you. I want you to know something, folks. If Noah can hear from God and believe Him, and God can do the impossible, He can do it with us. And He can do it in your personal life, too. And just because He hasn't, doesn't mean He won't. And just because He hasn't, maybe because you haven't learned the lesson of that yet. And that really stinks too because I've been there too. So don't feel like you can't tell your pastor because he's not going to think you have enough faith. I already think all your faith is growing. So let's remove that off the table. And if you think that, what do you think about me? I've been there too. We've got to quit worrying what everybody thinks about everybody. If you're too busy judging other people, you're not busy listening to God's word and what he's saying to you. I don't have time to <laughs> figure all of that out for you. God will do that. My, you know what my job is? My job is to introduce you to Jesus Christ 
and, and teach you how to connect with him every day so that you can live on this journey with him. And then our journey together is to remind each other of how to do that <laughs> and whatever roles he gives us. I'm tied here with ropes of sand. When God releases me, that'll be the last time you'll see me. He's not doing that. <laughs> I've not heard any of that. All I'm saying is I'm here until God, and then I'll get out of the way because he's got something else for you and for me. But I'm not going anywhere. I don't see that in the near future. I'm telling you this to say we're here together for a purpose and a plan. Let's come together. Let's do that. Let's accomplish what God has called us to do. The accomplishments, the obedience. And the joy that we have of watching each other hear the voice of God and say yes to it, that's the great adventure. As Stephen Curtis Chapman put it. And so at this point, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.